He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. John Katsimatidis here. And along with the studio, we got Ed Cox uh, and 10 years the... uh, a GOP chair of New York State, and uh, good to he, be here as always. And, and happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving! And now you understand on the phone with us, we got Lydia Serrani. Lydia, how are you? How's your Thanksgiving? It's good. I'm actually via. We have a. It's called Opal, so I almost sound like I'm in the studio. Thanks to our fabulous engineer Dan Herschel. But yes, the Thanksgiving is still going on. I'm up in my office, and my family is downstairs, and I've been cooking all day. Well, that sounds wonderful. What did you have? Did you have turkey? We had turkey. We also had lamb chops because Albanians, we love ourselves some good baby lamb. And then, of course, we had the other usual sides. We also have to have pasta. You have to have a little bit of everything. How about you guys? Well, we had turkey. Now, the big question this morning when I was on with Dominic Carter for this morning, do you like <laughs> dark meat or, or white meat? Oh, I'm going to use Greg, Greg Kelly's response. I'm a vegetarian. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that somehow. <laughs> Uh, and I, uh, you know, on the line we has uh, we have the borough president of Staten Island. Uh, uh, we, how are you doing today, Vito Fusella? I'm doing great, John. Happy Thanksgiving to you and Margot and uh, everybody else who uh, is in the studio or parts unknown. So everything is great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And uh, tell us what a tell us about a Staten Island uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, you, you guys had. Uh, uh, you're an Italian uh, background and a little bit of uh, of Irish. And uh, yep. uh, tell us about that uh, Thanksgiving in Staten Island. I think it's one of the best, if not the best, holiday in the year because it's the the one day that that we all come together as Americans and basically appreciate uh, where we all came from, the sacrifices uh, perhaps our grandparents or great grandparents uh, made, our parents to give us this uh, this life in this great country and it goes back you know 400 years to the first pilgrims who arrived but today for example we're at our good friends uh, dear friends Mike and Sarah Dada's house um as we've been doing for years and and their brothers uh, my, uh Matt and, and Jay are here with their families so it's about coming together uh you know a nice lasagna uh, tray of lasagna followed by turkey and accompanied by 400 different types of vegetables <laughs> and everything else uh but most importantly it's about sitting around a table and just being with people you want to be around and uh, w- with our family and theirs and, and, and what, close friends. Now, tell me, you don't talk about politics. What do you talk about? I think we talk about the same thing we've been talking about for the last 20 years. You know, it's a lot. It's just wonderful. As you know, John, you, you want to see uh, you, your kids are growing. Uh, you want to know how they're doing, whether it be in college or their jobs or as, as people are getting engaged and getting married and, and all that stuff. So it's a lot of just catching up. It's being with who you want. And then some of the kids go, there's a, there's a place uh, called Talk of the Town, and uh, a lot of the kids uh, congregate after dinner, and they reunite. So Staten Island has that small-town feel that, believe it or not, two, three generations still unite before Thanksgiving. There's famous basketball games, rivalries, uh, dinner, two, two, three, four, five o'clock, and then a lot of the younger people get together afterwards, 
and we just hang and, and catch up on what we think is important. And I think that's where I go full circle. Thanksgiving is about just giving thanks for those simple, beautiful things that God has given us, our families have given us, and we appreciate not just Staten Island, New York, but the great country we live in. That, that's the United States of America. Well, Thanksgiving should be one of the holidays that there's no controversy at all at. Uh, but uh, I understand uh, the world culture is trying to create a little bit of controversy. Some people want to call it Turkey Day instead of Thanksgiving Day because the pilgrims uh, didn't treat the Indians right or something. Yeah, right, Joy Reid. You know, I would say this, and that is the, the one element that we tend to sort of miss on Thanksgiving, that the folks, the pilgrims who came, nobody's perfect, right? The 40 or so who created the Mayflower, Mayflower Compact to to squash any mutiny, but more about self-governance, governance, people coming together with diverse opinions, and that became really the, the foundation, ultimately, for the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the rule of law that has allowed us to live together, despite where we come from, despite our differences. And yes, I remember years ago, in fact, I ran into my kindergarten teacher once, and she said she had to have two different seatings at two different tables because politics was destroying Thanksgiving. But if we could just turn the page and well, get now back it's 40 years ago. <laughs> so th th those are the elements that I think we miss. And it's easy to focus on the negative. It's easy to highlight sort of the handful of differences. But when all is said and done, I think we have so much more in common. And grace has given us, uh, and the good Lord above has given us so much more to enjoy, to celebrate, and to appreciate each other's company. So that's I, I, I want to get, Walt I wanted Disney, to get Ed Cox's. One second, I just want to say, Walt Disney took the board of directors of Walt Disney, took the woke culture, threw them out, brought back the old chairman. And, uh, you know, I said, well, be woke, go broke. And the stock of Walt Disney was down to, to half the price of what it was when the old chairman was in. And now they got the new chairman in, and maybe they'll straighten things out. I hope so. I, mean, I think it, 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 what what happens is the the world, the sort of at least in this country, I think it ultimately self corrects. Right? People get get together. They say if if the fringe goes off in a bad direction, and obviously the board of directors has an obligation fiduciary to its shareholders. And despite one's political opinions, if you're destroying the company and destroying the stock price, you're hurting the shareholders. So a change has to be made. Uh, and I hope that we can get back into, as I say, getting back to things that we can come together on and, and agree with and, and and just appreciate this this wonderful country of ours. Yeah, I think we're right in the middle of Ed Cox here. Uh, uh, you know, I think we're right in the middle of doing that now. Elon Musk is doing that with Twitter, right? Same mm -hmm. thing. Elon Musk, changes. I think, is going to be successful. He yeah. wants a little bit of common sense. That's why I was a little bit surprised how uh, President Trump uh, treated Elon Musk. Why, why make Elon Musk an enemy? Yeah, and Ed, to your point, I think what happens is when the others, when those who really claim to be tolerant and embrace free speech and they really don't, when they start screaming loudly, that means that chances are it's going to be successful. So I think that's where we need to get back to. Uh, and just remember that um, – you know, we, we I keep repeating we have so much more in common and so many good people in this country in the city and and of course on Staten Island uh, that we want to do good we want to do good for the next generation and I really have to believe that that's going to happen. 
Lydia, you wanted to say something. Oh, I wanted to get your reaction, everybody's, to MSNBC host. Um, she said that Thanksgiving is a fairy tale. She links the holiday to slavery. She claims it's a simplistic fairy tale perpetuated by the right to hide. No, we, how the we had US that was button really... someplace. Remember that button? You know what it said? Yeah. She's full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> she, she said the United States was founded on genocide and ongoing white supremacy. Ed Cox, I want to hear your take. And your oh, you got to be kidding. I mean, and this is the one holiday. Everyone yeah, gave I mean, thanks to the good Lord and to the people who formed this great country and made us really all nationalities are welcome here under our Constitution. That's the way it works. Yeah. A very unique country. You know, what happened two, three hundred years ago, that was their way of life then and it is what it is. I mean, the person who's full of crap is this lady from MSNBC, and I'm going to forget her name because you know why? She's irrelevant. Right. Well, and I would also add, and that's the beauty of this country, right? That's why I sort of said that the Mayflower Compact became the foundation of the Constitution that granted, among other things, the freedom of religion, but also the freedom of speech that she has to choose us to exercise. And at this point, you know, I, we like to think about, you know, Mary Pat and I, just about the people, men and women who are wearing our nation's uniform, who are in harm's way, away from their families and loved ones, uh, serving across the globe. And it's because of their sacrifice over the last 250 plus years that people like that have the right to the freedom of speech. And we still can say that the United States of America is the greatest country in the world. So to all those veterans and those wearing our nation's uniform, we can't thank them enough for their willingness to sacrifice in their service. God bless them for their service. Amen. Amen. We agree with you 100 percent. Vito Fasella, borough president of uh, Staten Island, thank you for everything you uh, do for the people of Staten Island and speak out. You actually speak out for all New Yorkers and God bless you and uh, God bless the people of Staten Island. God bless America. Thank you so much. Well, John, you and Margo are one of the reasons we give thanks on this day. And Lee and, and Ed, thank you so much. I wish all of your families a beautiful Thanksgiving and the remainder of it. Enjoy. Enjoy the rest of the year. Enjoy the rest of the weekend and the rest of the year. God bless you. God Appreciate bless. you having me on. Well, uh, I'll tell you, it's... Uh, well, it's getting dark out there, but at least the weather wasn't that bad, Ed. It, it wasn't bad at all. I didn't need a coat. <laughs> yeah, for Thanksgiving, that's not bad. Well, yeah. why don't we take a a, a break? Um, control room, we'll take a break, and we're going to come back uh, with uh, the former uh, uh, secretary to president uh, to not President Cuomo. Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't quite work out. We have Melissa DeRosa, and we'll find out what an Italian. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving is, and let's go for a break. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Do we have Melissa DeRosa on the line? She's a former secretary to former Governor Andrew Cuomo. Is Melissa there? I'm here. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy uh, Thanksgiving. Did you happy- have a real Italian Thanksgiving, Melissa? Well, you know, an Italian Thanksgiving is just Thanksgiving plus lasagna. But, yes, so that that did take place. (laughs) Now, are you a dark meat person or a white meat person? I am a white meat person. What about you, John? I love that dark meat. I'll tell you, (laughs) I think it's more moist. You might be right about that. It's just I think it's however you're raised. Yeah, but the only problem is I had turkey about uh, 4 o'clock or 3 o'clock and and you know that turkey tends to put you to sleep. So if I fall asleep at the uh, <laughs> at the switch here, somebody wake me up. 
will well, forgive you. have been working uh, since uh, early uh, this morning. All right, uh, Ed Cox here. So, Melissa, let, let me ask you a question just to keep everyone awake here. The uh, so the uh, the Democrats lost a number of congressional seats here because of redistricting and a little red wave here. Good candidates on the Republican side, cl- good close races, which is what it should be. Uh, maybe it could be the other way in the, in two years, depending upon how things work out. But yet they're going after Eric Adams and Jay Jacobs, saying that for somehow their responsibility. Is this just the progressives trying to drive out? the uh, the more moderate uh, uh, members of the party? You know, Ed, I think that you're being a little bit generous even about how the those congressional races went. I, I don't think I think that, that it was a lot more about how the Democrats fumbled the crime issue, both politically and governmentally. And I think that they didn't heed the warnings in 2021 on Long Island and the fact that they did elect Eric Adams as mayor, and they should have understood the signs on that. So I think you're actually being quite generous to, to the Democrats and how they dealt yeah, with I, I agree with you. I mean, Eric Adams was elected for safe streets, good jobs, bring the billionaires back from Florida, and uh, good education. I mean, how, no, how, how much more basic can you get than that? No, and, and you know what? I think that there's been a lot of finger-pointing that has gone on since the congressional races, and obviously all eyes are on New York, and you've got this funny dynamic where – the chairman of the DCCC, Sean Patrick Maloney, loses his own seat after redistricting. And now you've got, you know, Hakeem Jeffries looks to be poised to take over for Nancy Pelosi, all while New York appears to be the reason we lose the House. So I think that there's a lot of finger pointing going on over whose fault that it is. And, and I think it's just completely ridiculous that people point at Eric Adams. I think, to your point, um, you know, he ran on cleaning up New York. We came off of Bill de Blasio, who I think was a total disaster as a mayor. For We all agree on that. (laughs) And, you know, it's not Eric Adams' job to do blocking and tackling for the Democrats on their position on bail and crime. And what I always thought was funny was everyone sort of said Eric Adams is taking the Republican position by saying they need to reform bail and they need to allow judges to be able to factor in safety and dangerousness when they decide whether or not to give someone bail. Well, guess what? That was also Bill de Blasio's position. And that was Andrew Cuomo's original position. And in every state in the country where you have gone cashless bail, every single state in the country has done it, allowing judges to have the dangerousness provision where they are given the authority in their own judgment to determine whether or not someone should be granted bail. And so it's not a Republican versus a Democratic position. This is the position that, you know, Bill de Blasio took, Andrew Cuomo took, and and Democratic governors around the country have taken. And so I just think that for anyone to say, oh, it's Eric Adams' fault because he spoke about and attempted to, you know, governmentally take on the crime issue because he was talking about it, that gave Republicans more weight in their argument that crime is an issue. It's just sheer lunacy. And frankly, if they don't get it together fast in the next two years, I think we're going to see a lot more go red. There's word out in Albany that they're looking for a new uh, uh, head of the appeals court. Uh, that's right. The chief judge of the Court of Appeals, I, uh, upon information I have, was forced out by the Democrats in the Senate. And they are now in the county bar associations objecting to the way they are trying to influence the commission on judicial nomination that is uh, giving to the governor a slate of seven from which to pick. What, what do you hear, Melissa? 
You know, I don't I don't know that Janet DeFiore was forced out. I, I know Janet DeFiore. I'm sure you all do, too. She's a very tough, strong, smart, savvy woman. Yep. And I can't imagine that the you know Democrats in the Senate could could force her to do anything. But I do think that she had sort of had it is what I've heard. And, you know, she was done with the, the politics of it. And there was sort of this after the decision on redistricting where she made the decision based on the law and then she was hit politically with everyone saying, well, you're a Democrat. You should have just thrown the lines for the Democrats. I think that she had sort of had it. And I think that she was ready to move on and not have to deal with that sort of heat and flack. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I saw, obviously, they put out a list a couple of days ago on potential replacements for her. And one of the people is Kenneth Tenero, who was someone that Dee Fiore supported and who was someone who also, you know, voted with that block of people on the lines to say that that was unconstitutional. And so you may end up with the chief judge being someone who was part of that other group. And I think that that would obviously be a big blow to the people who were trying to politicize the process. Well, they're, they're, look, what you were saying about why she left and what I'm saying is, frankly, I think we're saying the same thing, just saying a little bit differently. Uh, but uh, the there is on that group of seven uh, a public defender who I don't know the background, but I suspect was probably a throwaway to the uh, to the uh, need to have a progressive on there. And I bet there'll be a lot of pressure on Governor Hochul to select that individual. Yeah, you know, it's going to be really interesting because I think that a lot of the far left, especially in the Working Families Party, is trying to say that they're the reason that she won, right? She won by just over five points in a state where there's only 22% Republican enrollment. Um, It was obviously a much closer race than anyone would have ever thought in a, a state as blue as New York. And so the far left is trying to take credit for that win, and they're saying, we got you here, therefore you need to give us X, Y, and Z. And it's going to be interesting to see how she chooses to come out of the box. Does she kowtow to the far left? Does she sort of internalize the lessons of the election, which to me is very loud and clear? You need to tack back to the center and deal with law and order and deal with the economics of the state and the fact that a lot of families are struggling because of inflation, gas prices, et cetera. Or are you going to kowtow to the far left? And it'll be interesting to see. I think that the judicial choice will be interesting out of the box. It will be a very interesting. And one thing the Cuomo's, Mario and Andrew both, did they revered uh, the Court of Appeals and made sure there were good judges on it. And uh, that is uh, one thing I think you and I could agree on. No, I think that's right. And we cared a lot when I was there, I know, about making sure that there was balance, geographic you know, racial balance, gender balance. And, you know, we put Garcia on the bench. And obviously we we take a lot of heat for that now, but we thought it was important to have a Republican voice on too and more moderate voices. And uh, furthermore, Uh, just a great, great judge. I mean, very thoughtful. He reveres the court, just the kind of person you'd want on it, regardless of party. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that in, in all of the hysteria in the last few years about how we treat the courts, When you're in power, I think that it's not your job to chase the far wings of your party. I think it's your job to sort of consolidate power, find the middle, find unifying principles and try to bring everyone to the table. And I think that's a sign of a good leader. And I think that the courts are are a place where that should happen more than anywhere else. Now, it's uh, only about five weeks left for the whole uh, year. My God, it's uh, four weeks till Christmas and five weeks to the end of the year. Uh, what, what do you see in uh, good riddance to 2022? I mean, good riddance to 2022. 
I mean, you know, look, I, I wish Governor Hochul all the best. We all should, because if she succeeds, that means that New York is doing well. And I think that we have a serious crime issue in the city. I think that there is a you know, mental illness issue with homeless, uh, mentally ill homeless people on the street that needs to be dealt with. I think that a lot of families are struggling. And, you know, here's hoping that going into 2023, we can all come together and put the politics behind us and find common ground to move forward that benefits everyone in the state. But, you know, we're also looking towards the presidential election and everyone in that room knows that that means everyone gets a little bit more hyper political. And so, you know, do we have six, eight months before that presidential season really kicks into high gear where people can try to you know, approach governing in a way that's good for the people and moves things forward, even if it's not hyper-political. And and I hope that that's the case. Understood. Well, happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we hope you enjoy your family today and and, uh, have a lot of turkey, and uh, uh, God bless you, and uh, we'll be facing the month of December where we're ending the year. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Have a good evening. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, well, I have a question. Um, I have a question ahead. I wanted to ask you ahead, your Lydia. your reaction. Hakeem Jeffries, <laughs> Pelosi's likely replacement. He's supporting a commission to study slavery reparations. I'll ask you, Ed Cox, first. What's your reaction to that? Does that surprise you? Uh, well, I, I think it's a waste of political capital, if you will. This is not going anywhere. And, and furthermore, I was very disappointed when a special master drew districts Pursuant to the Constitution and provisions of the Constitution, scrupulously, Hawking Kemery screamed at the top of his lungs, racist, 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 because his district was uh, disturbed a little bit. Uh, You know, he he was playing the race card. uh, And uh, I don't think you can have a speaker who is is playing that kind of politics. I I think it's, uh, you know, maybe maybe he's trying to gather up the people in the in the Democratic Party, they're going to be voting for 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 a leader in the uh, in well, the Democratic uh, Congress. I think he was just disturbed that it was an honest redistricting, and of course, incumbents were disturbed because uh, the district lines are naturally going to change uh, as you uh, when you when you every ten years. And he was just upset the way his lines were redrawn. So he said it was racist. That yeah. The, the oh, way he's the lines re- were redrawn? Oh, at the top is like no, no reasoning. Gee, we ought to do this or it's just that's he was just screaming racist, 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 playing the race card. Why does why does everybody have to go down to race? You know, the media, uh, you know, some of these politicians. I, I, I mean, think some of the Democrats are playing the race card when their people are asked to show identification for voter ID to to vote. It's racism. Wait, well, you're saying your own people are not capable uh, of having a uh, a uh, identification card. You need an identification card to get on an airplane. You need an identification card to get into an office building. You need an identification card uh, for, for for driver's license. You need everything. Why is it racist? It's racist to to say that oh my people are too stupid. Is that what you're saying? What what say you? You're 100 right. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. How is that racist? Because I have yet, you know, it's funny. I saw a report where they actually had a reporter go out on the streets and ask various black people and Hispanic people, do you have an ID? And they were offended. They said, of course, I have an ID card. So the fact that they even created this narrative that black people are unable to get an identification card is absurd. It really is. I feel like it's made up. 
Well, on certain issues, Republicans are doing much better than they've done in the past with African-Americans and also with Hispanics. Uh, This year we got 18 percent, particularly the younger uh, blacks are interested in the Republican Party on education issues, for example, charter schools uh, uh, and freedom to choose, which is very important to free up the education system in the inner cities. Our education John, system so, is in trouble. John, Lee Zeldin, Lee Zeldin lost the black vote in Brooklyn. I know we have a minute left before we have to go to break. What do you think Republicans can do to try to get those, you know, African-American votes? Show stop. up. Show, Show up. up and stop wearing white socks. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think that uh, there needs to be common sense from both sides. I am a middle-of-the-road person I think 15% of extreme right and 15% of extreme left, they're the dangerous people. Both of them are. Agreed. A hundred percent. Well, I wonder, we're supposed to be taking a break now, and I'm wondering, uh, the stock market is closed today, so the good news is it didn't go down. Uh, Is Lou Dobbs on? Do we have Lou Dobbs on today, or is it a holiday and he's not on and we just go to a regular break? Control room? Okay, so let me go. So what other questions? What what, what what did he report that you do this morning? You know? Well, I talked about how overall turkey dinner is up over 20%. Stuffing is up like 70%, and the prices are just sky high. I'm the one who does the food shopping for my my household, and I just keep seeing the prices go up and up. And what I'm also noticing is that the vegetables and fruits, nobody's touching it, and they're also not touching the meat because the prices are outrageous. So people are just like, you know what? I don't want to spend $5 a pound for peppers. I don't want to buy that ground meat. I might as well just buy something off the shelf. So inflation is also going to hurt us health-wise because people are just not going to buy those more expensive healthy foods. What do you guys think? I know I know that I went and bought the pumpkin pie yesterday at 9 a.m. at the best bakery in, in Manhattan, and it was expensive. How much was it? It was expensive. I'll just tell you that. All right. Well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to come back with Gordon Chang and find out what a Chinese Christmas is. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. In studio, we have uh, Chairman Ed Cox. Of course, we have John Katz Matidis, who works day and night, no matter what the day, no matter what the night. He's been in studio since, what, 6 o'clock this morning? And myself, Lydia Serrani. 5.30. Yep. And do you sleep, John? You never sleep. You're always working. A the couple, hardest working man. A couple man. here, a couple there. And uh, tell us, uh, is Gordon Chang on? We got Gordon G. Chang on the line. And if you want to know what's going on around the world, Gordon Chang is the man to ask. Welcome to Cats and Night and happy Thanksgiving, Gordon Chang. Well, happy Thanksgiving, Lydia and John and Ed. So thank you so much. Well, Well, tell us uh, what's what's going on in the world. I mean, uh, it's a quiet day in New York. The stock market wasn't open. So it didn't go down. It didn't go up. Um, What did you do today? Well, I had dinner for the first time, Thanksgiving dinner for the first time with the family in two years. So this is, uh, you know, before the pandemic, and it was just great. I mean, it was wonderful. So it's a quiet day in the U.S., but it was a pretty consequential day in China, though. Yeah, what happened in China? Well, you have uh, continued COVID cases. There were 31,444 of them um, yesterday. Um, which basically sets a record for the year. 
Um, but the big story is the continued rioting at the Apple plant in Zhengzhou. It's, it's run by Foxconn, which is a Taiwan company. But basically, it's called iPhone Factory because it makes more iPhones than any other place in the world, what? somewhere between 50 and 70 percent of them. And the workers are rioting. They're, they're battling the uh, police who are in those white hazmat suits. They got 200,000 employees. Isn't that right over there? In that That's factory? right. They've got they have two hundred thousand employees, but at the end of last month, uh, thousands of them fled. Um, then the government brought in new workers, including veterans, um, and now those guys are rioting as well because they're not being paid what they're promised. And there's all sorts of issues regarding COVID. So it's a pretty unhappy place right now. Let, let me take you up to a, a, a bigger level here. And this is what Larry Summers, who's right about inflation. Well, let, let me, and, let's give the people a big picture yet. All right. Go uh, ahead. Ed Cox uh, was son-in-law of President Nixon, who opened up China. So Ed Cox is very, very knowledgeable on China. So when he's talking, he knows a, a few things about uh, about what went on. Well, at least I didn't know the questions to ask a real expert like Gordon Chang. <laughs> Gordon, I think your your book uh, twenty years ago about the coming collapse may in fact be right. Larry Summers has said that for a variety of very good reasons they laid out. Years from now, we'll look back and see China as we saw Japan in the early 90s and the Soviet Union in the mid-60s. In other words, as a growing giant that would take over the economy in the world, uh, and, uh, of course, neither panned out. And he thinks the same is going to happen with uh, the way we see China now. Yeah, well, certainly I think we're, we're witnessing peak China. Uh, and par- part of it is because... Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, is undoing the policies that made China so successful. So you have Deng Xiaoping, the successor of Mao Zedong. Deng uh, opened up the country. Um, He was reacting to pressure from the Chinese people. He wisely stood away. And then we had the economic miracle of 35 years. But Xi Jinping is going back to the policies of Mao Zedong. He's tightening up China, moving back to totalitarian controls. And one of those totalitarian controls is covid and the Chinese people have just in the last month or so have been protesting, demonstrating, rioting, defying orders. And at this iPhone factory in Zhengzhou, which is in central Hunan province, we are seeing basically open warfare between the workers and the police. That must be very disturbing to President Xi and the, and the Communist Party. Uh, uh, what I understand is they're letting up now a little bit on the complete lockdowns. They're trying to do it more uh, apartment house by apartment house or a specific factory by a specific factory. But the result is that COVID is spreading widely because they have no natural immunities because they have this lockdown policy. And they're using a questionable vaccine. And even that has been limited in the way it's been used. So they still have a huge COVID problem that uh, that that uh, they don't quite know how to deal with it, considering that people don't like the lockdowns. That's absolutely correct. Everything that you said, and and right now the regime is doesn't know what to do. On November 11th, it announced those 20 relaxation measures. Uh, local officials, some of them have been relaxing COVID, some of them have not been. Um, but uh, in the those places where there have been relaxation of disease control measures, uh, there's been uh, these outbreaks, including in Beijing right now. 
And um, for the reasons that you mentioned, um, no effective vaccines, no natural immunity, we are starting to see um, the disease to go through another wave. And I don't think the Communist Party has a means of dealing with this. Well, Xi Jinping wants to acquire all power to himself through the party. Uh, having a third term was important to him. What his position would be was important. Deng Xiaoping started the reforms that uh, China made China take off. He didn't care about position. He just said, go out, get rich, do well, build up the economy. And the Chinese people didn't need much urging to go out and do that. And they did. It was they, well, they He empowered the people. And, uh, and uh, what Xi Jinping is doing is he's taking power away from the people. Anyone with any kind of assets just wants to get them out of China and, uh, and to move themselves if they could. Yes, that's right, because we have seen the attack on the wealthy and especially in the tech sector. And you know, China's tech platforms, for instance, uh, Ant Group's Alipay, Tencent's WeChat Day, these are the most sophisticated payment platforms in the world, and the Communist Party is attacking them. He's undermining both of those companies, especially Ant Group, especially Alibaba. And right now, um, a lot of wealthy people, they've left. Some of them have abandoned their factories. Um, but they realize that they've got to get out of China because it is a dangerous place. And it's not just dangerous for the wealthy. Um, many people see war coming, and they don't want to be part of Xi Jinping's war. That's interesting. War of what sort? They're not, you're not talking Taiwan, are you? They're not thinking that. Uh... Well, they're, they're thinking Taiwan. I'll just give you an example. Um, a friend of mine, a Chinese entrepreneur in July, told me that um, his factory was making civilian products in the medical sector. And he was telling me that the Communist Party cadres came to him and ordered that he start making products for the Chinese military. And that um, a number of other entrepreneurs had been receiving similar um, directives. And that uh, a number of people, including him, have just left China. They've abandoned their assets there because they don't want to um, stick around for this. Um, you know, the Communist Party right now is trying to take control of factories, and it's been very successful in doing that. And that means when you have the party run factories, they don't run very effectively. They don't run efficiently. And, of course, with the COVID lockdowns, they don't run at all. So China's right now in a state of distress. Yeah. So, so um, I guess we go week to week to see what happens. I mean, uh... Yes, uh, um, and very much day to day. You know, most people assume, and I think it's probably right, that the party will get control of the iPhone factory at Zhengzhou, um, and that some of the other disturbances, especially in Guangdong, in Guangzhou, the capital of that very important province. But the point is, um, they haven't been able to do that for the last couple of weeks, despite all the resources, which means that this is troubling because it shows the failure of Communist Party governance. For instance, this factory, which has now become the focal point of uh, the world's attention, the, the Communist Party had every reason in the world to make sure that it was running well, because Apple is the most, actually, this is the most important factory in China, many people will argue, and they haven't been able to do it. Their policies have just failed day after day after day. And that really calls into question the competence of, part of uh, Communist Party governance. What, what does that mean for people who want to buy Apple uh, iPhones or iPads or others in the United States? Well, the iPads are um, – Apple has widely, wisely shifted much of that production to Vietnam, uh, and that is in process. So that probably won't be affected. But iPhone shipments will be affected. Because I, I heard iPhone somewhere... 14 shipments – 
are being affected right now. Yes, because this plant makes 50 to 70 percent of the world's iPhones. And deliveries, of course, have been disrupted, uh, and they've been disrupted now for three weeks. Um, and this is an important time because Apple wants product in the stores for Christmas, and it's not going to have the iPhones there that it needs. It's not only the problem with the iPhone factory. It's a, They're a, a part owner of a big education company that prepared people for exams and had hundreds of thousands of employees. And she's just being just decided – it was not a good business yeah. and ordered it to be shut down. Yeah. Well, right. we have to go on to a break right now and go on to our next thing. Uh, Gordon Chang, thank you so much for coming on, keeping the American people uh, informed. And uh, to tell everybody, your Twitter, keep informed that what you do is at Gordon G. Chang. Is that correct? That's right. And happy Thanksgiving to all of you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And we'll catch up again soon. Uh I understand we got Mario Cordomo on uh, with a report of what's going on in Europe. Uh, Mario, does anybody in Europe celebrate Thanksgiving? Yes. So I would have to say all the American expats do. And, in fact, a lot of the hotels around Europe, you'll find uh, Thanksgiving buffets, which are available uh, for people to go and enjoy. I'm actually in the U.S. today, so... Uh, unfortunately, I was unable to celebrate it with my own family there. But, yes, I would have to say that people do uh, actually celebrate it, and a lot of them are aware of what's happening in the U.S. with respect to today. Uh, but there's no formal Thanksgiving for anybody in uh, in the U.K. So the U.K. markets were open? Uh, all, the, all the markets in Europe are open. There's no observation for Thanksgiving. It's just it's uh, it's acknowledged that it's uh, uh, Thanksgiving in Europe has come to be known because of Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. So in Europe, they've picked up on the whole Black Friday thing. So everybody knows that Black Friday is tomorrow. Therefore, today is Thanksgiving in the U.S. So the people who want to celebrate it in terms of being able to go to a restaurant and enjoy a, a turkey dinner are able to do so. But it's not celebrated or observed the way it is in the United States. Well, tell me, is there anything to report uh, for what's going on in Europe? Anything significant? Yeah, there's a lot of things uh, and a couple of very big ones. The one is uh, earlier in the week, uh, whereas a lot of prime ministers uh, in the European Union have been trying to make the case that inflation is the result of the Russian invasion into the Ukraine, uh, the reality is we've we've known all along that that's not the case. Of course, the uh, the Russian invasion into the Ukraine has had an impact. However, earlier in the week, the German chancellor came out and said that the inflation in uh, the European Union and the Eurozone started, in fact, much earlier than the Russian invasion in the Ukraine. So this is the first person who's actually come out and said that there was inflation substantially before the invasion took place. And he uh, implied that the reason for this, of course, was the uh, rapid uh, uh, desire to convert to green energy. So uh, he's acknowledged that, in fact, it was not the Russian invasion. Something else that happened this week. No, which it is wasn't. Very it was uh, President Biden declaring war on fossil fuels in North America. That was the reason for inflation. Well, that's had an impact on Europe, too, of course. Uh, and in, in terms of global uh, global oil, global crude, and global natural gas prices. Uh, something else that did happen, which has to do with natural gas, was there was a discussion uh, for many months about putting an energy uh, price cap on natural gas. If you recall, we discussed this before. 
Well, the uh, European Commission came out with a 275 euro uh, price cap. And, of course, the 15 uh, members of the periphery in the European Union, the countries which are around the European Union, uh, basically vetoed it today, and they said that that is way too high an energy price cap. Now, this energy price cap of 275 was essentially set by the Germans, and the Germans' biggest fear is that they're not going to be able to buy natural gas on the open market to fuel their industry. So they want to put the price cap substantially high in order to be able to attract uh, natural gas into Germany. Many of the other countries, of course, can't afford this price cap. And what did happen was when the price cap was set at 275 and the announcement was made by the European Commission, we actually saw the uh, price uh, per megawatt hour for natural gas skyrocket up. It went up in some countries by 10% and other countries by up to 70%. For example, in Spain, it went up by 70%. And the idea is because right now it's trading somewhere around 130, 135. When you put a 275 cap in there, it means that it, uh, and that 275 price cap has to be in place for two weeks uh, in order for them then to intervene and to implement the price cap. All this is going to do is drive the price up. And that's exactly what happened the price cap went up. So uh, they have vetoed this 275 uh, price cap. And if we were to now, so, no, Nobody, you know, you're saying 275. American people don't understand what that means. Well, the 275 means that that's the maximum amount it would be allowed to go up to. In other words, if the natural 275, gas that, went that's, up to that's that's 275 that's, a liter, 275 what? Per megawatt hour. The natural gas per megawatt hour. So um, if you were to increase this price, uh, if you were to allow the price of the natural gas to go up to 275, that, and what is would, it correspond, now? that, would, that would roughly correspond to a 600 euro per megawatt hour energy price. Which and is what does that compare to? It compares to what it is today, which is 130 uh, on the natural gas versus 275. Wow. Where is the natural gas coming from? What, 40% of it was coming from Russia? Now that's almost yeah, so zero. That's, so that's a, that's they don't have question. the liquefaction receiving plants. They, uh, yeah. They're not developing their, their, their fracking, which they could in Poland or in England. So where is the gas going to come from? Just to begin the gas with. Is coming, the gas continues to come from Russia. The LNG is coming from the U.S. and from Russia. America is the number one. Uh, uh, exporter of LNG to Europe, and Russia is number two. Now you're going to ask, well, how can Russia be exporting LNG if Russia has been sanctioned? LNG was exempt from the sanction list. (laughs) And uh, 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 Russia continues to export crude into Europe. And in fact, last month, between last month and this month, month on month, the uh, uh, amount of uh, diesel that's been imported into the EU from Russia is up over 120%. So will there be an energy crisis and Europeans are going to sh- shiver <laughs> this winter you know, or not? The thing. Right now, the way it looks, I'm beginning to wonder myself if there will be an energy crisis. The reality is Russia continues exporting uh, natural gas and crude to Europe. The Europe war is just an inconvenience for everybody. 
And there's a lot of talk, but the reality is uh, that's probably one of the reasons why President Putin, other than the fact that he keeps launching missiles and hitting the infrastructure in the Ukraine, is not doing anything more radical and more aggressive. And he's toned down his rhetoric with respect to nuclear weapons or the use of, 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 of battlefield Mario, nuclear weapons. Mario, thank you. Mario, thank is, you. We're out of time, and uh, I'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, well, enjoy your uh, yeah. evening. Happy Thanksgiving, happy turkey, and we'll catch up soon. And I understand, let's take a break right now, and uh, we're going to come back with Dr. Peter Michalos. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We're back, and uh, we got five minutes left to our show today, and boy, it goes fast when you're having fun. And with us is Dr. Peter Michalos. And uh, Dr. Peter, what the heck is going on? It's almost the end of the Thanksgiving. Absolutely. And we have to remember that President Lincoln made it a national holiday back in 1863. And Thanksgiving has a lot of uh, great history associated with, like the first football game was played in 1876 between Yale and Princeton. That was the first time a football game was uh, played on Thanksgiving. And that's where the Thanksgiving football tradition uh, began. Princeton had to win, right? Absolutely. But uh, tonight, uh, we're just going to give a quick uh, safety wrap-up for our audience because we want to keep them safe about car safety. And very important as we're approaching the winter that you check your tires and make sure they're inflated equally, that you don't mix tire treads because if one side grips and the other side doesn't, that's when you go into a spin when you're on ice and snow. And when you buy tires, always look for A traction and A temperature on tires when you're shopping for them. And uh, never smoke in cars, especially when there's children or uh, people with macular degeneration because they've shown secondhand smoke can increase your risk of macular degeneration and eye problems fourfold. And, of course, lung cancer. And we now know that the people who smoke live 10 years less than the rest of the population. And uh, the other thing is make sure that you check your brakes, check your inspection sticker, make sure it's updated. Try to use in cold climates synthetic oils. If you own an electric car and they advertise it can go a certain number of miles in a charge, remember that when it's 20 degrees outside, car batteries will work uh, 20% less. So if you think you're going to make it, for example, to the end of Long Island with one charge, you may not make it when it's 20 degrees outside because they're not as efficient as they should be in cold temperatures a little. By the way, the other day when we were talking about batteries, and we talked about electric cars, batteries blowing up and catching fire, et cetera, et cetera. And I asked uh, uh, somebody, either you, about the iPhone uh, batteries. It's funny. On one of my old iPhones, I was charging it, and it says uh, um, uh, something went on. Uh, the iPhone says, uh, we're suspending charging because your phone is too hot. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that people don't realize in the summer, if you leave the phone in the car, and especially if you put a phone cover case, it acts as an insulator. So the temperature of the lithium battery increases and you can have spontaneous fires. And that's one of the reasons on an airplane, they don't want you putting lithium batteries in the bottom or the of the plane and check baggage. They rather you have it inside the cabin. So if there is a fire, it can be addressed and they can put it out. So lithium batteries are something on the warning label when you're checking in on a wow. flight. Wow. you about so, where you're going to put it. So, Dr. Mikolos, let's say uh, you're you're an electric car. You're going to Montauk. You don't listen to Dr. Mikolos, and it's cold, and uh, your car dies uh, an hour away. What happens? How do you how do you r- 
get it going again. I hope your, your phone works and you're able to call for help. <laughs> well, what if your phone's got the same problem? What do you do? Well, the whole problem is the infrastructure. Some of the rescue trucks actually have, like, some portable generators, and they can try to give you a, a boost, but it is a big problem. And one of the problems is the average time in a gas station might be three to four minutes for a gas-powered car. And uh, when you start converting to electric cars and you need 45 minutes of charging, you might have a line of two or 300 cars like they're starting to wow. see in places like L.A., and nobody well, really talks about that. Doctor, our time is up. I hope you're having a great Thanksgiving today. And, uh, Ed Cox, thank you for coming in today. And, My pleasure. Uh, and uh, for all our audiences, have a great Thanksgiving. And God bless America. And uh, we tr- What do we stand for? Truth, Truth. Justice, justice, and the, justice and the American way. God bless you. Thank you, Peter. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.